This is the Good Judge Men Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another session of the Good Judgment Podcast. I am Wade Paget, And I'm Tane Kell, and together we will be your hosts. The Good Judgment Podcast is designed for judges, lawyers, and others who are interested in judges and the law and procedure that occurs in a courtroom. Now, our focus is on Georgia law and Georgia judges. We normally address issues dealing with substantive law and procedure, but occasionally we have some other topics that we think might be of interest for judges to consider. For those who have been listening to our podcast, we want to thank you and hope that you'll tell somebody else. And don't forget, folks, if you want to contact us, you can send us an email to goodjudgepod at gmail.com, or you can follow us on the uh, web at goodjudgepod.com. Hello, folks. Welcome back to the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. And we have come to the end of our series of episodes on how to try a criminal case from beginning to end. We're going to talk a little bit about sentencing. And in sentencing, it is something that has a lot of requirements and a lot of discretion. So let's talk a little bit about sentencing. Now, let's start with the concept that we are in a jury trial. We're coming out of a jury trial. We've gotten a guilty verdict. You know there is no obligation that you sentence the same day as the verdict. But if you choose to go, we're going straight through in our scenario or our hypothetical here. First, you need to make sure that you dismiss the jury. Um, there are some people that want the jury to stay while you sentence. And the first time one of those jurors stands up and says, hold up, he could go to jail for life. I want to change my verdict. Well, make sure you, you, you release the jury first. If you don't think that could happen, we got some cases that say where it has. And I actually tell my jurors if they'd like to call my office and have my assistant tell them what the sentence was the defendant received, they're welcome to do that. How many of them call? We've actually had several of them call over the years because usually they ask, well, now what happens? When's the sentencing or is there a sentencing? And we say, if you want to know what the sentence is, you can call my assistant. So we've gotten to sentencing. Make sure that at this point your light's going on for merger. And if you have a merger issue, this is where you need to be asking of the lawyers. And again, one of the big things about merger is nobody ever brings it to your attention Maybe you should bring it to their attention. I frequently ask that question. Counsel, is there a merger issue here and have you discussed it? And um, if they haven't, then make them do that and let's go ahead and wrestle that alligator. And that might be a really good reason for you to put this off to another day. Yeah. And you also need to understand, though, that even if they agree that there is no merger, that doesn't mean that they're correct and that doesn't fix your problem. You don't get to waive a merger issue. And there's also a really awesome podcast just on the uh, on the issue of merger. It's a two part podcast. It is, and and we've we've presented on it. So hopefully that'll be something that you can find useful. So there's lots of different ways to do sentencing. I think that by law there is a requirement for opening statements by both parties and evidence by both parties, and who has the right to argue first and last in summation. At the end of the day, make sure in my humble opinion, you let the people who are engaged in this process say what they need to say. That is just my opinion. I don't care necessarily who goes first and second. Um, I'm I'd, all, but, but, but don't forget to, to touch this aggravation issue, especially if you have recidivism, because it might be a minute since y'all have discussed that. And if you need to, you need to remember that, that there was a recidivism issue involved in this case. 
I agree, Wade, and I, I think that uh, the main thing in in sentencing is. Um, Make sure that everybody gets to speak. And also, don't forget, there's an opportunity to present evidence with respect to sentencing. And some people want to rush right in, get counsel to give you their recommendations. And then uh, it's, it's not like, uh, you know, on a, on a plea where everybody's agreed on it. They actually have the opportunity to try to convince you of one sentence or the other. You know, some of us as judges seem to think that this is sort of a quiz show and that we're supposed to know all the answers. Feel free to look at the lawyer's and ask questions, it, it doesn't really a lot of times affect me what is the maximum fine. But if that's something that you're contemplating, make sure you talk, put the obligation back on the parties to tell you what they, what they believe the relevant law to be so that you get it right. So you have a, you have now, we're, we're now, we've, we've received the arguments We've received arguments and aggravation and mitigation, and we've allowed the defendant to say something if the defendant chooses to do so. Be very smart that you never either directly or indirectly imply that there is a trial tax. Absolutely. The, the, and, and explain what you mean by that, Wade. The Constitution says you have a right to a jury trial. There are, there are some people who would say, if you accept responsibility for what you did, I'm going to impose a sentence of X. In other words, if you plead guilty. But if you put us through the obligation of a trial, I'm going to sentence you to more than X. That may, in fact, be true. There may be some logic for that. But to tell somebody, a defendant at any stage of a trial, but particularly here, because you went to trial, I am going to punish you more severely. Not only is that unconstitutional, it's also just plain wrong. It, 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 now, it may actually happen, but there are some people where they go to trial and I see their point much more so than I did when it was a plea to burglary. Now I understand you were outside and you were over there and you, your connection to the guys that went in is a little tenuous, but the jury chose to go with the state's version instead of your version. I get that. But that sentence may be different. It, it is not automatically Paget is the max senator if you get convicted. That's exactly right. I'm in, I'm intentional with that. <clears throat> One of the things that uh, I'm really that is really important to me, and I think for purposes of making everyone understand that you take this seriously, as soon as both sides have finished their closing argument, if you want to call it that, uh, after you know if they've presented any evidence, if that's happened, and you then mean during done, sentencing? Yeah, during sentencing. But then they've done their closing argument. Um, I always take a break. I always leave the bench, even if it's for five or 10 minutes to quote unquote, contemplate the verdict or, or I'm sorry, the sentence in the case. There's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, sometimes I do want to, you know, think about things for a few minutes and just get it straight in my mind. Secondly, I usually want to go through the indictment and make sure that I'm sentencing the right counts with the right sentence or that if there's a merger issue I didn't see before, that I'm thinking about that before I go out and announce what the sentence is. And then the final reason for it is a practical one. I usually call my clerk in who writes up the sentencing document for me that everyone looks at and signs and all of that. And I tell her, this is the sentence that I'm going to impose. Go ahead and write up that document. There's a real important reason for that. You got a defendant sitting in the courtroom who knows he's about to get sentenced. It's a very stressful moment for him, for the lawyers, for everybody. 
and it is stressful for you. And the worst thing in the world is to sit there on the bench for five minutes or 10 minutes or however long it takes in silence waiting for the clerk to write up the sentence document and get all of that done. It's just an awkward moment that you can avoid by going ahead and doing that. Now, y'all do things differently in your circuit. Yes, we, sir. We do not we don't wait on the clerk to do to write up the sentence. We send the defendant on and then either probation or parole apparently get or somebody gets him to sign the sentence and on a later date. We do not sign it in the courtroom. I know a lot of people do. I know it's a whole lot easier to do. But there's also there's a different level of angst in the room. And and so we do that differently. Now, let's go through a couple things in sentencing in general and and talk about not just sentence after a jury trial, but sentencing in general. Um, don't forget that if you have a sex offense, even if you think that person certain sex offenses, not not uh the life potential life sentence sex offenses. You have to split that sentence. Even if you think a the, the full amount of time in custody is justified, you have to split it with at least one year on probation. And so you can't give somebody 20 years plus one year on probation where the maximum sentence is 20 years. Right. So you have to give them 19 plus one. Not that I think it matters a whole heck of a lot in the, in the end. They're going to be eligible or, or not eligible for parole in the end anyway. But that is something that must be done. And, and again, this is a part of our outline, so feel free to go there. If you choose to impose some level of probation, make sure that you say the words that go with that. If you are going to impose a first offender sentence or a conditional discharge sentence, make sure that you go through all of that, all of that finding and know that first offender or conditional t- discharge requires consent. So if you think you're going to quote unquote punish someone by giving them a first offender sentence, you can't do that without their consent. Also, uh, one thing I would note here too, there is required in the law under certain circumstances and it's a little bit complicated, so we won't go into it in detail, but you need to, we're just trying to give you red flags here. There's a thing called a behavioral incentive date that's required under certain, uh, yeah, we're coming to things. It. Okay. And, uh, and you may be required in some cases to give that behavioral incentive date. And we'll talk about that. Absolutely. But, but there's also certain ways to control that. I think if you, if you choose to go a different way, right. Um, think about restitution. Now, if that issue is not is not already worked through by the time we go to sentencing, make sure you give them a very specific procedure to follow that they must make an application for an application for a restitution hearing within so many days or it's going to be waived or whatever, just so that that you you make sure you touch it because there might be restitution and people haven't stopped long enough in, in trial prep to figure out what that might be. In addition to the terms of probation, if you make something a special condition of probation, then then the entire balance of the probation can be revoked even if it's not a crime. And you know that Fourth Amendment waivers require the defendant's consent. Again, after a jury trial, if some part of the sentence is going to be probated, um, maybe the defendant will consent to a Fourth Amendment waiver. I think that's less likely. Um, but you can't impose it without them consenting to it. And I'll caution you on that. Because it is fairly standard with my district attorney's office to ask for Fourth Amendment waivers in um, pleas that are negotiated, 
they will frequently in a non-negotiated plea put on the sentencing form or the clerk will accidentally put it on their Fourth Amendment waiver. You cannot impose a Fourth Amendment waiver without the defendant's consent. Absolutely. Now, I have as a special condition of all of my probation the obligation that the defendant not be in the presence of any illegal drugs or drug paraphernalia while on probation. Now, what that does is that's presence. That's not possession. I've already had possession. I mean, duh, on possession. He's in the car with a whole bunch of green marijuana in the console. Boop, violation. That's a violation. That's a problem. But it's knowingly. I mean, you know, there could be a situation. Right. The behavioral incentive date under 17101A1B. The court is required to set a behavioral incentive date of no more than three years from the date of sentencing if, one, you are imposing a first offender or conditional discharge or there's no, or there are no prior felony convictions. This would be a first conviction. And, and this is the and, straight probation is imposed or there is a split sentence with no more than one year in confinement imposed. So earlier when we talked about you are can be a little bit of in charge of that. If you are giving a straight probation sentence following a jury trial, or if you're imposing no more than one year in confinement following a jury trial, then you have to do a, you have to set a behavioral incentive date if there's no prior convictions, or if this is a first offender conditional discharge sentence. But if you don't, you don't. Wade just gives them 366 days in custody and calls it a day. Tane, after a jury trial, do you advise the defendant of their rights concerning appeal? I do. Um, and I do it too because we've seen a lot of appeal cases where they said, well, we're going to grant an out-of-time appeal. We can't prove that the defense counsel, trial counsel, told the defendant of his right to seek a uh, appeal. Yeah, it's a very abbreviated and generic statement about appeal, but I do give them a short statement. It's included on the sentencing outline that I have that's a part of my trial outline because sentencing is a part of trial and so there's a little part of an outline for that and yes I do tell them about that I also after a jury trial advise them of their habeas corpus rights and give them a statement of their habeas corpus rights. I think by law we have to advise them of their habeas rights I think that by best practice we need to advise them of their appeal rights there are different things and then you know that the habeas rights that you have relative to a felony are different than a misdemeanor or a traffic offense. It's one year on a misdemeanor, 180 days on a pure traffic offense, and four years on the date the sentence becomes final on a habeas corpus petition, if that was something they so desired. Folks, it is an honor to be able to present with Tame. We're, we're, we're thankful to be through with this series on how to try a criminal case. Please check us out at, at goodjudgepod.com. Please feel free to send us an email at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. We're happy to share outlines, give you electronic versions, whatever we can do to help. And it doesn't matter what class of court or if you're a lawyer or whatever your other interest is. None of this stuff is secret. But we are very thankful to be able to present this to you. Thanks to everyone who has participated. This is Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. Thanks, folks, for listening. Thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. This project was the brainchild of Doug Ashworth, the executive director of ICJE. Thanks and appreciation to Mr. Jim Henneberger and the entire University of Georgia College of Law. Without them, we really could not do this. And thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, who helped to edit some of our stupidity and awkwardness. Hey, but nobody can get it all. That's a good point. 
Tane and I are eternally grateful to the Council Superior Court judges who allowed us to lead new judge orientation for the Superior Court judges across Georgia. And thanks to our NGAO graduates who've been willing to help with this podcast series. You know that these are our opinions and do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, CSCJ, University of Georgia College of Law, or anybody else with an acronym or alphabet name. Or anyone else for that matter. Contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com if you have any praise. And contact someone else with any of your complaints. (laughs) But seriously, we would love to have your feedback, both good and bad. Send those comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. And visit our website at goodjudgepod.com for outlines and more details about our podcast. Once again, I am Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell, and thanks for listening. Tane, I guess it's time to bang the gavel on this one. Any last thoughts before we wrap this session up? No, let's just turn it over to the studio audience, and the crowd goes wild. Thanks for listening to the Good Judge Men Podcast.